0: Well, we're going to go right into our lesson. It's lesson number three. And uh, I trust you've got your Bibles and uh, you have your lesson studies available as we, uh, as we go into today's study. The last five kings of Judah. The last five kings of Judah. And um, in the memory text is Jeremiah 22:16, and it's a pretty important one. And uh, Jeremiah wrote, he said, he judged the cause of the poor and the needy then it was, well, was not this knowing me, says the Lord, and we'll probably touch on that a little bit later on in our study. Uh, we're going to get right into it. Let's go to Sunday's lesson. Uh, it, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing when you sit back and you study someone's life, or at least you read a little bit about their story and their life. When we talk about the five and look at the last five kings of Judah, we don't, we're not given an awful lot of information on each of them. Um, The only one that we're given a lot more information on is Josiah. Uh, Some of them, uh, their their stories are briefer, very brief, others uh, are long and tell us a little bit more about them. And um, and of course the writers are highlighting some of the most important things uh, about the life of these individuals that uh, were very instrumental in either bringing about reform in Judah or bringing about the demise of judah if you have your bibles go with me to second kings chapter 22. we're going to begin over here today second kings chapter 22 and um we'll talk about josiah here under the rule of josiah you can read the story of josiah in second kings chapter 22 all the way through to uh, chapter 23 and verse 30 of the same book and then you can read its parallel account in Second Chronicles, chapters 34 and 35. That's where you'll find uh, the readings or the, uh, the, the, the story of Josiah. Now, how old was Josiah when he began to rule? He was only eight years of age, that's right, and he was crowned king. He reigned for how long? About 30 years? 31. He, was, he reigned for 31 years. His father was Wicked King Anan. Wicked King Anan, and Anan ruled simply for two years, before he was killed in his own house by his own servants. And, um, and Josiah's grandfather was, actually, was also wicked king, or was wicked king, Manasseh. Wicked king Manasseh. It is said of Manasseh in 2 Chronicles 33 verse 9, So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Now that's not a good testimony of an individual is it? This king Manasseh led Judah to doing worse things than the, uh, the, the, the inhabitants of Canaan who existed there before the children of Israel. Manasseh eventually was carried off, we know the story, was eventually carried off uh, by a band of Assyrian soldiers who took him to Babylon. And it was here under some very difficult and trying circumstances because prisons in the ancients, in ancient days, weren't uh, like prisons today where you have a bunk bed and uh, you get a good meal and you got even cable TV. It was pretty difficult, pretty trying circumstances and it was under those circumstances that Manasseh amazingly saw the lengths to which he had had, uh, morally sunk and remarkably turned his life over to God. It was an incredible conversion, but it was too late for Judah. Manasseh had set the course, Amnon and even some before, but Manasseh had set the course and it was too late for for Judah. Uh, let's look at 2 Kings 22 verse 2. It says here, talking about Josiah, the son of Am- Anon, Ammon and uh, the grandson of Manasseh, he did that was what was right in the sight of the Lord and he walked in all the ways of his father David, he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. It's a pretty good testimony. Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He didn't turn to the right, and he didn't turn to the left. This phrase was frequently used frequently at the time of Moses and Joshua, and uh, and it was used very seldom later on. This is significant when we consider what lost writings were recovered that lay the foundation of, at the, of the tremendous spiritual revival and reformation that was to occur during Josiah's reign. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But uh, this, this testimony about Josiah not turning to the right or to the left um, has deep significance about, with reference to the book that was found during his reign. Now, he was 16, year old, 16 years old when he sought the Lord, according to 2 Chronicles, verse 34. Uh, we have two accounts, of course, parallel accounts of these kings, one in 2 Kings, one in 2 Chronicles. He was 16 when the Bible says he sought the Lord uh, and it seems like he sought him more earnestly. It wasn't that he wasn't a follower of God, but he sought him more earnestly at the ripe youthful age of 16. When he was 20, he began to remove idolatry from the land and you can read that in Second Chronicles 34 verse 3 as well. It was very. It seemed like he was very aggressive at removing um, at removing the idolatrous practices that had uh, essentially um, smothered the land at that particular time. And it's interesting to read when you read a story that his work extended uh, beyond Judah to the south, as south as far as Simeon, which was south of Judah, uh, which is essentially the western part of the southern, to, to the west of the southern part of the Dead Sea. That's as far south as his reforms went, which is, which is outside of the territory of Judah. And then he went as far north as the land of Nephtali, uh, which is way north of the Sea of Galilee. Now, sometimes you'll read about uh, certain things in the Old Testament and uh, territory is referenced from Dan to Bathsheba. Do you ever remember re- reading, reading about Dan to Bathsheba? It happened from Dan to Bathsheba. It took place from Dan to Bathsheba. You'll read that throughout the Old Testament. And basically, it was a statement of the the northmost part of Israel to the southmost part of Israel. Josiah extended his reforms all the way to the northmost part of the land of Israel. Uh, And you know that by this time, Israel, uh, most of the folk have been taken captive. They've been scattered throughout the heathen lands. And yet, folk still living there, people still living there, Josiah is able to influence them for the better. Well, let's go to verse 3 to 7. Let's continue reading here. Now, it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah, how old would he have been in his 18th year of his reign? He would have been 26, right? 26. Uh, In the 18th year of King Josiah, that he sent Shaphan, uh, Shaphan rather, the scribe, the son of Azaleah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house, to the carpenters, the builders, masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Verse 7. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Because they deal faithfully. So, age 26, what did Josiah do? What was Josiah doing here? he began the work of repairs, a repair on the temple. Uh, prior to this, he was raising funds uh, and apparently it was a successful fundraising campaign and uh, the money had been collected and, um, and so now the, uh, the repairs to the temple could be enacted. Now, this is the same year, the twenty uh, at age 26, this is the 18th year of Josiah's reign, this is the same year that Helkiah, the high priest, finds the temple finds the temple copy of the book of the law uh, that perhaps was carelessly lost during Manasseh's reign or hidden by a faithful priest during Manasseh's persecution. We read that in verse 8 notice. So then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And so what happens next? Hilkiah delivers it to Shaphan, who was on, of course, the king's errand to ensure the proper payment of the workers. And Shaphan, after having reported to the king about the money and the workers, what did he do? He read the book of the law to King Josiah. What was King Josiah's reaction? Well, before we get to his reaction, just something on the book of the law tying into what, what I'd mentioned earlier about the statement regarding Josiah that he turned neither to the left nor to the right. The Book of the Law primarily carried the Book of the Covenant found in the book of Deuteronomy and uh, that had to do primarily with the blessings and the curses. And you can read that in Deuteronomy 32 to 34 around those chapters. Upon hearing the Book of the Law being read, what did Josiah do? He rent his, his clothes, right? He ran his clothes. He he was hearing in his reading, he was hearing uh, as the book was being read to him, how God had promised to bless Israel if they were faithful to him. But then he'd also read how God would bring about, allow unfortunate circumstances to occur if Israel disobeyed God, you see. And Josiah was very sensitive to the fact that Israel was far removed from God's ideal for his people. And so in an act of remorse and horror for impending judgment, uh, he tore his garments, you see. It was all because of Judah's sins. So was Josiah influenced by the writings that he, that he, read, that he heard read to him from the book of the law? Well, even, even before this instance, yes, it seems. Uh, he was influenced by, uh, from other scriptures, but upon reading this, something dramatic happened in his, in his life and in the land of Judah, even more so than what uh, had been happening up to this particular point. So concerned was Josiah that he sent Shaphan, he sent Hilkiah the high priest and a couple of other close subjects to inquire of the Lord at the hand of Huldah the prophetess whether the book of the law had prophesied, uh, what the book of the Lord prophesied was actually going to come to pass or not. So Josiah sent these men go inquire of the Lord, they went to Huldah the prophetess, to inquire. And you can read this in 2 Chronicles 34, verses 14 to 22. And what did Huldah say? She told Josiah that what you have heard read to you will come to pass. Judah will, things won't bode well for Judah. However, however, you will not be alive to see it. And so what was going to happen to Judah would not happen to Josiah during Josiah's reign or while he was alive. Look with me in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. Let's read that. Look at verse 18. But as the king of Judah was sent to you, sent you rather, to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Verse 20, surely therefore I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. And so they brought back word to the king." question for you, what was the reason God saw fit to keep Josiah from seeing the downfall of Judah? What were the reasons listed here in verse 19? Because he was what? Because he was repentant, because he was sorry, because he had an impressionable heart that responded to the Holy Spirit's pleas and he responded in tears of penitence and tears of faith. Do you think that God responds to His children in the same way today, surely. If we find out that we have been doing something contrary to God's will and we find ourselves embroiled in, in the circumstances and the consequences of our actions and, we, and, we, and the Holy Spirit's pleading to us and we humble our hearts before God, He will hear us and He will forgive us our sins. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 34, verse 18, notice this, uh, it says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Isn't that a beautiful promise? God has promised that to you and to me. Well, uh, the messages of the prophets and the prophets at the time of Josiah were, of course, Jeremiah. We're studying Jeremiah. Uh, The other prophets at the time of uh, Josiah were Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you like to pronounce his name, and also Zephaniah. And uh, these warnings, the messages of the prophets, warning about the coming Babylonian captivity, prepared the way for the wonderful revival that was to follow after the reading of the book of the law to the people. What did Josiah do? He called all uh, the leaders of Jerusalem to the court of the temple, he called all the people, and there he first consecrated himself to the Lord. And what happened? We can read the account in Second Chronicles 34 verses 29 to 32. Did the people follow their leader? Yes they did. First, Josiah consecrated himself and, uh, and, and sought to fulfill his end of the covenant agreement and then the people responded in kind. It tells us a lot, doesn't it, about the influence of leadership. Uh, prior to this, you had wicked King Anan and Manasseh and how did the people fare? They did what their king did. Here, Josiah is repentant, remorseful, turns his heart to God and is going to continue the reforms that he had enacted and started earlier on in his life and the people did what? They followed the power of influence. Most of you here today are parents. Um, Some of you are not parents and don't have children but you exert an influence at your workplace or whoever you associate with. The, the, the power of influence. We think about the work of a parent and the influence they have, mums and dads have on their children. And uh, if generally speaking, that parents go well, it goes well for the children. Now granted, the children get to a point where they get to an age where they choose for themselves. And, and so we claim the promise in Proverbs 22, verse six, that, um, that uh, they'll, they'll remember the way of the Lord and they'll come back if they do uh, drift from the Lord. But the power of influence. We need to consider, even as Christians in the world, don't we? The influence that we exert on others that we work with, that we associate with, our neighbors, our relatives, and our friends. And we ask that God will help us to be faithful in the witness that we uh, reveal to them. Amen? Surely. Well, uh, what did Josiah do after he consecrated himself and the people followed? He acted. He acted. There were two things that he did. He sought to remove Uh, any trace of idolatry and of course he consecrated himself to obey the Lord. It's one thing to remove the idols out of the life, it's another thing to fill them with uh, obedience uh, to the Lord and to do those things that are pleasing in God's sight. Josiah had removed all the articles made for Baal out of the temple to have them burned outside of Jerusalem and, and all the ashes were removed to Bethel. Do you know why the ashes were removed to Bethel? you know why the ashes were removed to Bethel? Now, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, except that this Bethel was the place where God had provided the assurance of his presence in the dream about the ladder when Jacob dedicated himself to God when he fled from es- his brother Esau. But Bethel was known for a place of dedication and rededication to the Lord. You remember, even after um, uh, Jacob Jacob goes back to Bethel after he, he has the dream. He goes back to Bethel and there he rededicates himself and his family, his new family, to the Lord there at Bethel. this is a place of dedication, consecration to the Lord. And so all the ashes from all of these burned uh, idols uh, went up to, were taken up to Bethel. And, um, and Josiah also removed all the Uh, Compromised priests from their posts, and he had a number of them killed, according to 2 Kings 23, verse 20. They knew better and were recalcitrant and obstinate. Look with me in verse 15 of the same chapter, 2 Kings 23, verse 15. Notice it says, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place, he broke down. He burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. Here's another reason why Josiah went up to Bethel. It was a fulfillment of the prophecy that God had given a couple of hundred years earlier. You remember, it was here that, uh, you can read the story in 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, where Jeroboam had set up counterfeit centers of worship in Dan and Bethel, and it was 300 years before that this had taken place. <clears throat> and so he took, it was actually a fulfillment of that prophecy, he took that altar, he burned it, and uh, became ashes, specifically and as, as, uh, as accurately as had been prophesied earlier. And while he was up in that region, uh, he was also taking the bones out of tombs and burning the bones of, uh, of deceased priests. And he came across a particular tomb, and the Bible calls it the man of God's tomb. Do you remember who the man of God was? The man of God, 300 years before, it was the prophet that came to uh, Jeroboam and told him exactly what was going to happen 300 years later at the hand of Josiah. You know Josiah, his name was mentioned back there in 1 Kings chapter 13. It was the man who came in, it was the man also who was, uh, who got, who was deceived by a false prophet and he was killed by the way on the road. It's kind of a strange and odd story. And when they found him, there was a lion on one side of the road and there was a donkey on the other side of the road. And he was dead. The man was buried. And this is the same man. And Josiah said he wasn't going to defile that tomb. He let that tomb alone. Now, it's interesting when you read throughout 2 Kings chapter 23 because it really deals with all of the actions of of Josiah with regard to removing idolatry from the land. It's interesting that the, the word, the phrase defiled occurs time and time again. That he, uh, he defiled other tombs by removing the bones of the deceased and burning them on altars. Why, why would the Bible writer say that he would defile these tombs by burning the bones on altars and, and also defiling the altars? Because weren't the altars already defiled? Wasn't incense being burned to false gods, Baal and Asheroth and the rest? Truly, yeah. This act This act may have been highly offensive, but Josiah did this to show contempt for the form of worship Jeroboam had set up in the place of true worship. And so when it says over and over again in 2 Kings chapter 23 that he defiled this place and he defiled that place, it was because he was showing great contempt for that form of worship that was contrary to the worship of the true God. Now, some would accuse Josiah of being extreme in tearing down and burning up every trace of idolatry in Judah. But I would suggest that it is more extreme to sacrifice children during pagan worship services because that's exactly what they were doing. Look with me at 2 Kings 23 verse 10. Notice, it says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his fire, make his son or daughter rather, pass through the fire in Molech. That's what the children of Israel had stooped to following the practices of the, pagan, uh, the pagans around them, sacrificing their own children to these pagan gods, unknown gods. And so, uh, and so certainly that was extreme. And to not, dis- by the way, to not to destroy these false centers of worship was to invite the continuation of the evil practices that were, uh, that were the fruit of idolatry. And so jo- jo- Josiah just removed every single trace of idol worship now, the writers of King, and we're just following along in the story, the writers of Kings and Chronicles reveals that Josiah called for the celebration of the Passover as well. And that no Passover, no Passover had been observed that was so great since the day of the judges. And if you read the account, especially in Second Chronicles 35, it takes up the entire chapter. You read about all the, the sacrifices and the animals that were brought and there were copious amounts. There was no great a Passover since the days of the judges. And Josiah, it says also, removed the spirit mediums out of the the land, seeking to eradicate, eradicate all vestiges of spiritualism. And he was faithful in doing that as well. So at the end of his life, what commendation was given to Josiah for all that he did to stay the tide of idolatry? Look with me at verse 25 of the same chapter, 2 Kings 23. Notice, it says, Now before him there was no king like him. Who turned to the Lord with how much of his heart? All of his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. In other words, no other king applied himself so vigorously to enforce Mosaic law. Josiah wasn't just interested, by the way, in in the external compliances of the law, but was also wanting to embrace the spirit of that law. Turn with me to Jeremiah 22. Just keep your finger in 2 Kings. Just jump over to Jeremiah 22, verses 15 and 16. Notice what the prophet says here. Jeremiah 22:15 15 and 16. It says, Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me? says the Lord. This is a reference to Josiah. Did he not do justice and righteousness? Did he not judge the cause of the poor and the needy? And it's interesting, Jeremiah likens these actions and this heart religion of Josiah to knowing God, to knowing Him. Jesus said in uh, John 17 that we would know Him and God the Father, you see. We would come to know Him, the Bible, when it talks about knowing God, is coming to know Him intimately, personally, in so much that our lives are transformed and changed and we begin to imitate the one that we are getting to know, you see. It's a powerful testimony of, uh, of Josiah's life. No one before, no one after. You know this was, this, was, this was a matter of the heart for Josiah. If it was a matter of externals, he wouldn't be considering anybody but himself and trying to just simply please God and rack up brownie points so uh, God would consider him favorable. But this was heart work for Josiah, in so much that he foresaw, he knew what was going to come, and he, and he wanted God's judgment to be tempered with mercy for the people that would remain. Josiah didn't bring about decided reform to bring an end to the judgments of God, but because it was the right thing to do, and because he had compassion for God's people. But unfortunately, at the age of 39, Josiah died in a battle, that he should have avoided. And you can read that in 2nd Chronicles 35, verses 20 to 25. Assyria and Egypt were in alliance against Babylon. And Babylon was the new ruling empire of, of that time. Uh, Assyria and Egypt were in alliance. Necho II, who was the Egyptian king, was on his way to, to the Euphrates to engage with Babylon. And against Necho's counsel, Josiah rose up to fight him. Josiah saw that as a threat of war. Uh, and uh, rose up to fight him, and, jo- and Nico said, Don't do it. Don't do it. As a matter of fact, let's go over to 2 Chronicles 35 just for a moment. Let's take a look here. It's interesting the words that Nico uses. It's interesting. He says, verse 21, but he sent messengers to him saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? This is Nico to Josiah. I have not come against you this day, but against the house which. I, I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, refrain from what? Meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him. Was this message from God, even though it came through the mouth of a pagan king? It was. It certainly was. Josiah didn't listen. And in this battle that he sought, set his face to go, uh, go into, he was severely wounded and he died. Josiah essentially died for being self-confident and failing to listen to the word of God. God speaks to us, friends, through various methods and means. He speaks to us through prophets, sometimes through angels, speaks to us through the Bible, speaks to us through nature. And in the case of Josiah, through a pagan king, he sought to speak to him through common sense but Josiah didn't listen. He was uh, happy with the promise that God had given him, that he wouldn't see the demise of Judah. And in his self-confidence, he didn't heed the word of God. And he died an untimely death. And in Second Chronicles 35, let's go back over there. Second Chronicles 35, verse 24 and 25. Notice how the people responded to the death of Josiah. It says, His servants therefore took him out of that chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem did what? They mourned. They mourned for Josiah. Verse 25, Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel. And indeed, they are written in the laments. And so, Josiah's death was greeted by uh, serious and severe mourning on behalf of the people and the prophets. And it's interesting, however, that there would be no weeping at the death of Josiah's sons. And you can read that in Jeremiah 22, verses 10 and 18. There would be no weeping. And we, as we read a little bit about them, we'll understand why. They, mourned for, they wept and they mourned for Josiah, but there would be no weeping or mourning for his sons. When I read this uh, account, I, I got to thinking, what type of legacy do I want to leave? if I were to die before the Lord comes. What type of legacy? Do you think Josiah left a a powerful legacy for the children of Israel? I mean, it's it's told in their response, right? They saw him as 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 a man of God, a man who brought about tremendous reforms, a man who cared for his people and they mourned him. What legacy, what legacy are you going to leave for your family and your friends if you were to die before the Lord comes? What legacy are you leaving now? Let's go over to Monday's lesson. We're going to skim through these four last four kings of Judah. Monday Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim another descent. Now these stories are found in 2 Kings 23 verses 31 through to 2 Kings 24 verse 5 and second the parallel account is found in 2 Chronicles 36 verses 1 through 8. Look at 2 Kings with me chapter 23. 2 Kings 23 and we'll read verse 31. Verse 31. It says, And Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Humatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. Not Jeremiah the prophet. So Jeremiah of Libna. So this is Jehoahaz. And according to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 15, his name was actually Shulam. Shulam. He was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he only reigned for three months. He was the youngest son of Josiah, and according to the account, he was chosen by the people ahead of Jehoiakim, who was the oldest of Josiah. Now, it is assumed, and it's somewhat speculated, that that Jehoahaz was chosen by the people because he was of the anti-Egyptian party. There were two political parties: the anti-Egyptian party and the pro-Egyptian party and Jehoahaz was chosen, chosen perhaps because he was of the anti-Egyptian party. It is assumed that this is the reason he was also swiftly replaced by Necho of Egypt. And the Bible records that sadly he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Jehoahaz was imprisoned in Ribla, which is 200 miles north of Judah. And Necho and did this so that he could come and assess the situation. And after assessing the situation, Nico decided to put the land under tribute, or in other words, made Judah a vassal state of Egypt. And uh, he removed Jehoahaz from the throne and he placed Jehoiakim, the oldest of Josiah, on it in his place, and you can read that in 2 Kings 23:34 as a matter of fact, let's read that. And then Pharaoh Nico made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. Very sad end to a very short reign to King Jehoahaz, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, Jehoiakim or Eliakim, Eliakim's name was changed to uh, Jehoiakim uh, to as a reminder that uh, he owed owed his sovereignty to Egypt. How would you like that? Your name is changed, and every time someone Calls your name. Oh, hail, King uh, Jehoiakim. It reminds you that you are only king because another power, a foreign power, has put you in that place. <clears throat> this was, this must, have, uh, must have harassed Jehoiakim. Uh, and it was assumed that Jehoiakim was of the pro Egyptian party, and that's why uh, Nico put him in that place. He was 25 when he began to reign. Do you notice the young age of the kings when they began to reign? He reigned for 11 years. And he, like his brother, his younger brother, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Jehoiakim, by the way, was the first of the three kings, last three kings of Judah, who became vassals to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar. And also, these are the last three kings that rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, bringing about the three besiegings of Jerusalem, which ultimately ended in the demise of that city. Now, according to... Uh, scripture here, um, Jehoiakim enacted a tax on all the people in order to return that tribute back to Necho. Do you think the people would have been happy about that? No. The poor and the rich were taxed, and they were heavily taxed in order to pay that tribute to Necho. Now, according to Jeremiah, and we're going to go over there, Jeremiah chapter 22, uh, Jeremiah lists some unfavorable, unsavory attributes of Jehoiakim. Let's take a look at these briefly. Jeremiah chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 13. Notice some of these unsavory attributes of King Jehoiakim. Jeremiah 22, starting with verse 13. It says, "'Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work.' who says, I will build myself a white house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in Caesar? cedar? Did not your father, Josiah, eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Yet, verse 17, your eyes and your heart are for nothing but for but your covetousness. For shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Now go over to chapter 26. Let's read a few more verses. Chapter 26, verses 20 to 23. It says, "Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjathjearim, and who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah." And when Jehoiakim the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put Uriah to death, put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid, fled and went to Egypt, verse 22. Then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, Elnathan, the son of Akbor, and other men who went with him to Egypt, verse 23. And they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves Of the common people. Was Jehoiakim a nice guy? If you crossed his path, you were going to get it. If you said something he didn't like, that was the end. As a matter of fact, if you compare these verses with Jeremiah 22, verses 18 and 19, it is stated that uh, uh, Jehoiakim was given the burial of a donkey. He was given the burial of a donkey. Here he gives the man of God, the prophet, a burial with the common people. And Jehoiakim later reaps what he sows, and he's given a burial with the donkeys. How would you like to be buried with animals? He was a king, king of Judah, who was buried with animals. And now just jump over to chapter 36, verse 23, where we're just summarizing some of the unsavory attributes of Jehoiakim. Jeremiah 36 and verse 23, last verse here. And it happened when uh, Jehudi and three uh, had read three or four columns that the king, this is talking about Jehoiakim, cut it, this is the the, the, scroll of, uh, the scroll of Jeremiah, cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. He didn't like what you had to say. He didn't like if you wrote to him, he'd, throw it in the, he'd cut it in pieces and threw it in the fire. So how can we summarize uh, Jehoiakim? What type of attributes did he have? He was extravagant, he was covetous, he was oppressive, he was unjust, he was impious, and he was also bloodthirsty, wasn't he? This man was, did that was, which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, just backing up, just a quick quick moment. When Babylon's decisive victory at Carchemish and Hamath in 605 BC occurred, it exposed Syria and also Palestine to Babylon. And Jehoiakim became under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, became a vassal and surrendered hostages, thus beginning the predicted 70 years of captivity that Jeremiah had prophesied. So it was under King Jehoiakim uh, that the 70-year captivity that was prophesied, that was predicted, occurred, you see. And Daniel, the prophet, was, was one among the first captives. And in 2 Kings chapter 24, let's go back over there. We're just jumping around a little bit, learning a few things here. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up Jehoiakim, behold, became his vassal for three years, then he turned and rebelled against him. And so it is said that uh, Jehoiakim was a vassal of Babylon for three years, but then he switched his loyalty back to Egypt, uh, which appeared like a good move for for the time being, but it came back to bite him. And according to verse 2, God allowed marauders to frustrate Judah. As a matter of fact, um, they left the land pretty desolate in certain places. And that was predicted in Jeremiah, or at least it was mentioned in Jeremiah chapter uh, chapter 4 and verse 20. Just jump back there with me for a moment. This is uh, an important... I just want to kind of hang around this verse for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 4... And verse 20. I want to hang around these few verses. Notice how the prophet describes the desolation of the land that came as a result of Jehoiakim's rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 20, destruction upon destruction is cried for the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered and my curtains in a moment. How long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are foolish they have not known me, they are silly children, and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens they had no light, and beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth, and behold, indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens fled, and behold, behold and beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by the fierce by his fierce anger. For thus saith the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. Pretty terrible. Pretty terrible uh, situation that came upon Judah here. Now, it's interesting that these verses also have a dual application, don't they? These verses have a dual application. Predictions of Old Testament prophets can be divided into four sections. First of all, that which was related to that particular time of the writing of the prophet. Uh, Also, number two, those prophecies that were related, directly related to the coming of the Messiah the first time. Number three, that which was related to the future and the coming of the Messiah the second time. So, for example, Daniel's great prophecies in Daniel chapters 2 and 7. And then, fourthly, Dual prophecies, and that's what you have here in Jeremiah chapter, 20 verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 20 to 29. It was applied to the present at that time, after Jehoiakim's rebellion against uh, Babylon, and it's also applicable to the future. What part of the future? What time in the future? During the time of, oh, during the millennium. During the 1,000 years, notice, notice it says in verse, in verse 20, uh, 26, all of this was happening at the presence of who? Of the Lord and by his fierce anger. This is a reference to the coming of, the, of, of Jesus and the destruction of the world, essentially. And during the 1,000 years in Revelation chapter 20, John records that the world's condition was like a bottomless pit, a world that was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the earth. Question though, how do you know that this is actually a dual prophecy that's related to a particular time much later in the future with reference to the second coming of Jesus? There's more, there's lots I'd like to, to share with you here briefly, but here's, here's a principle just to keep in mind. Here's something very important to keep in mind. We know that it that parts of it relate that parts of prophecies certain Old Testament prophecies relate to the future because later inspired writers tell us that they are this isn't we didn't just pick this out and say okay uh, this is uh, this is going to uh, this is going to be a prediction of the future when you read the new testament and you read the prophecies that come later on you begin to realize that these some of this some of what is written here has a dual application to what is going to occur at the second coming and during the great 1,000 years of Revelation chapter 20. This is just one instance and there are plenty others, but that's just a principle to keep in mind when you're dealing with dual applications. Does a later inspired prophet, a later inspired writer, make an application of that prophecy to a later event? very important principle to keep in mind. Well, eventually, you have got to keep moving, eventually Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim was bound in bronze chains and he was carried off to Egypt, or rather to Babylon, and, um, and uh, tells us that uh, it didn't go well for him there. Now, let's go to Tuesday and we're going to look at the last few kings. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 9, it says, Jehoiakim, was eight years old, or according to 2 Kings, actually 18 years old, um, Jehoah Chin, who was also known as Kaniah Ken- and Jachaniah Je- uh, Je- by Jeremiah, he began to rule when he was 18 and not eight years of age. If you compare this with Jeremiah 22 and verse 28, it says that when he was taken into captivity, his children went into captivity as well. Not possible to have children at the age of eight years, you see. So he was really eighteen. He reigned for three months and ten days, and like his father, Jehoiakim, he did evil in the sight of the law, in the sight of the Lord. And according to Jeremiah chapter twenty-two, verses twenty-four to thirty, his downfall, or at least the demise of his kingdom, was prophesied. You know, if if something was said about you, and it was negative, and uh, it would cause, wouldn't it cause you to wake you up, and kind of Regroup and and uh, and start doing the right thing. If you are on the wrong track, it, it ought to. It should. Uh, you probably remember hearing the story about Alfred Noble. He was uh, he's best known for his invention of dynamite. They call him the arms manufacturer. He was given a premature obituary. Uh, he read his own obituary in the newspaper, and some have suggested. That, uh, and, and the obituary condemned him as a merchant of death. And some have suggested that because of the reading of his own obituary, uh, he, uh, he changed his ways and created the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, if you read your obituary and the obituary wasn't positive, it was negative, just like Jehoiachin, wouldn't you change your ways? Wouldn't you give your heart over to the Lord? You'd think you, ought, you would and allow the Lord to direct your steps. That's not what happened. Jehoiachin also rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, and the city was besieged again. And at this time, Jehoiachin was taken prisoner, his mom, his children, his servants, the princes and the officers. Nebuchadnezzar also took the king's treasures, cut the, all the gold out of the temple, and he took the captains of, and the heroes of war, 10,000 captives, craftsmen and smiths, leaving only the poor in the land. And you can read that in Second Kings 24, verses 13 and 14. This was the year 597, and this was the year that Ezekiel, was taken into captivity, you see. Well, I want to jump over to Wednesday's lesson, and we talk about Zedekiah. He was the last king of, he was the last king of Judah. His name was Mataniah. He was Jehoiachin's uncle. In other words, he was the brother of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, and Hezekiah, Zedekiah, rather, reigned in his stead. He was 21 years old. He reigned 11 years. And despite that his name meant Jehovah is righteousness, he also did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah had warned the kings for not, to not believe the false reports of the prophets. The false prophets, and you can read this in Jeremiah 27 and 28, the false prophets were saying that, you know what, Babylon, broke, your yoke's going to be broken, you're not going to be subjected to Babylon, give it two more years and you'll be free. And the kings were believing it and they were setting the people up uh, for absolute disaster. And Jeremiah warned against that. And it brought uh, great hurt upon the children of Israel, the children of Judah. It was in the ninth year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar that he came to besiege Jerusalem for the last time. And that was in the last year of Zedekiah's reign. Zedekiah did escape, but then he was eventually captured. And unfortunately, all his sons were killed right before his eyes. And the last thing his eyes saw before they were plucked out was the death of his children. He was chained and he was taken to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar decimated Jerusalem, burned the temple, the king's houses, and according to Second uh, Kings 25 verse 9, he burned all the homes in Jerusalem. This is what happened to a nation who turned from God and worshipped idols. Now we don't necessarily worship idols today, literal idols, we may not, but we may have an idol. As a matter of fact, in, uh, in James chapter 4 and verse 4, James likens worldliness and worldly practices that are contrary to the plans and will of God as equ- equivalents that to idolatry or spiritual fornication. And so we, the warning is there for each one of us to listen to God's prophets, to heed his word, to cast out any idol that might be in our heart or in our life And let Jesus reign supreme. It's interesting in all of this, Jesus, God, God had continued to provide hope and encouragement to his people. Yes, there was warning, but there was also wonderful hope. And one of those things is recorded in Jeremiah chapter 23. And you read verses 2 through 8. We won't read it today. But suffice to say, Jeremiah points to the solution to Judah's problem. And the solution is the Lord, our righteousness. Jesus, our righteousness, is the answer to idolatry. He's the answer to worldliness. He's the answer to Laodiceanism. He's the answer to legalism. And he's the answer to sentimentalism. There is no doubt that Jesus provides hope. If you might be going through a difficult period in your life, maybe there might, you might be being chastened by the Lord. Know that it's for a good end. He's seeking to bring you back. And He's pointing you to the one who truly can make you righteous, and that is Jesus Christ. Surrender your heart to Him. Make sure you give your heart to Him each and every day. Allow Him to be Lord of your life. I'm not going to say things will all go well and, and, pretty, and things will be pretty and rosy. But you can know that you will be on the side of the Lord. He will be on your side. He'll stand for you. He'll be with you. He'll bless you. He'll keep you. He's provided copious promises. And eventually He'll come back again. And He's going to usher you into His eternal kingdom. And what would you give up in exchange for the eternal kingdom of God?